we stand, we'll read the first few verses, and then we'll pray, and we'll continue. So if you would like to, go ahead and join me standing there in Joshua chapter 22. I'll read verses 1 through 4 aloud. Then Joshua called the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. You have not left your brethren these many days up to this day, but you have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brethren as he promised them. Now therefore return and go to your tents and to the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Lord, again, we just thank you so much for your presence here. Um, I thank you that you are our promised rest. And God, we look forward to that day when we will cross over um, to be in eternity with you forever. But until then, God, I pray that we would continue to keep that which you've entrusted to us. And it's your name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Have you ever noticed the kinds of things that people tend to keep, right? Um, sometimes it makes no sense. Like, why, why are we keeping that exactly? And then other times the value of something is so evident that you can't help but vicariously treasure that item along with your friend. You like you see something and they tell you the story behind it and you're like, oh my goodness, yes, absolutely, what a treasure, never let that go. Um, there are those who keep things purely for practical reasons, right, in case of emergency or maybe for a future project, something that could come up, oh, we might need this, this could be useful. Um, then there are those who keep things for sentimental reasons, right? Perhaps there's a stored, like, treasure box, Tupperware, uh, notes uh, from when you and your husband were dating, and, like, photos of camp memories or gifts from your childhood, you know, just, just to say, like, pretend that that's the case for some people. Um, and then there's some people that they, they don't really keep anything. They're just, like, every, every couple months, they just clear out their closet, they say no thanks, and, and still somehow we end up with stuff, no matter how often we clean things out. But this idea of keeping um, has recently just really been resonating in my heart. And forgive me if I've shared this before in Ladies Bible Study. I know it comes up from time to time in conversations and in other opportunities. But um, the idea that God desires to keep us, right? I don't know about you, but there's plenty of times where I even tend to want to give up on myself. And I'm like, Lord, but you, you're keeping me around. Like, you keep me. It, um, it tells us in number six in that Aaronic blessing, right, where Aaron and the priests are commanded every time the people are gathered together to pray this over the people, saying, the Lord bless you and keep you. And I think it's so significant that the first expression of God's blessing over his people is that he keeps them. We're told in Psalm 56, verse 8, that he keeps our tears in a bottle. Malachi 3, 16, 
shows us that he keeps a memory book about us. It's almost like if God's scrapbook is filled with pictures of his children and moments where, you know, we make him proud. Later on in in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, we're told that our prayers are so dear to him that he keeps them in golden bowls as incense. Truly, our God is a keeping God. And 1 Thessalonians, the promise there in chapter 5, verse 23, reveals that he is the one who keeps us, who preserves us in our um, blamelessness. It tells us, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved. Some translations say be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That word to be preserved means to attend to carefully, to take care of. The Lord desires to take care of us, almost like a garden, right? Like we hear that term of someone keeping their garden. That's the Lord working in us to guard us, right? To keep watch over us. It's a metaphor to keep one in the state in which he is. And I think of that idea to be preserved blameless, right? And this idea of being kept in a state as which we are. And I don't know about you, but I look at my life and I know I'm not blameless. So how can I be preserved blameless? Well, Jesus purchased that blamelessness at the cross. And that's the way God sees us. So when we're given this promise in 1 Thessalonians that he's going to keep us blameless till his return, it's like that standing that was won for us on the cross that was purchased is being kept by Jesus himself, right? The Lord is keeping us. It also means to observe, to be reserved. So as we look tonight at Joshua chapter 22, in light of the fact that the Lord desires to keep us, we'll look at things that we ought to keep and at the same time, things we ought to let go of in order to have the best of what God has for us. Because in order to have the best of what God has for us, we have to let go of lesser things, right? So we looked at those first four verses earlier in Joshua chapter 22. And you'll notice that word kept being repeated several times in those verses. Verse two, it says, you have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord commanded you. Also in verse three, he tells them, you have not left your brethren these many days. It had been seven years of battle that they had been away from the land, which they asked for on the other side of the Jordan. And they were faithful men in war those seven years, and they kept charge of the commandment of the Lord, right? So now they're instructed to go back. So the the first point that we see we need to keep is to keep the commandments of the Lord. Keep the commandments of the Lord. That word commandment or commanded is also repeated in those first four verses a few times. Moses commanded them, Joshua commanded them, they've kept charge of the commandment of the Lord. So this idea of keeping and commandments, right? Keep the commandments of the Lord. What do we often need to let go of in order to keep the commandments of the Lord? We need to let go of convenience. We need to let go of convenience. I love the distinction that Pastor Joe Foge from Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia mentions in his teaching on this chapter. He 
he states it this way, that their military obligation had been met. Everything regarding military conquest, these men, these fighters had completed. It was an honorable discharge that had been issued, but they certainly still had a spiritual obligation. They certainly still had a spiritual obligation. And as we continue in this chapter, we'll see the weight of that spiritual obligation. One that isn't reserved necessarily for leaders only, but for anyone and everyone who calls themselves a Christian. Anyone who's a believer is under this same spiritual obligation. So I did a quick blue letter Bible search for the word keep and command. Right, just to see how many times those two words appear together in verses. And it occurs in 88 verses in the New King James Version of the Bible. 88 verses tell us this idea of keep and command. And I'm going to highlight just a few from the New Testament. These are all by the same author, John. And he is the self-proclaimed disciple whom Jesus loved. And I just thought that was so sweet that someone who identified himself as loved by Jesus focused so much on keeping commands. A lot of times we, we forget that. We forget this connection of love and keeping God's commands. But John is eager to remind us of this. In 1 John, uh, we'll look at a couple of verses. Go ahead and turn there. We'll jump around, but we'll kind of be in the book of 1 John for um, these next few moments together. We'll start in chapter 2 of 1 John. We'll look at verse 3, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. It says, now, by this we know that we know him. I love that certainty that John wants us to have there in verse 3 of chapter 2. Now, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. In verse 4, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So we can have certainty as we keep his commandments. The next chapter, chapter 3, verse 22, it says, And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. What an incredible promise. The things that we ask we can receive from him as we continue to keep his commandments, as we do and as we desire to do those things that please the Lord, we're going to ask things that he's going to want to give us. And then in John, 1 John chapter 5, we see two more verses. And this, again, ties together that idea of love and keeping God's commandments. 1 John chapter 5, verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. And I don't think I had ever realized that, that I can show my brothers and sisters in Christ that I love them simply by doing what God tells me to do. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes we look for like these very complicated ways, or we, we complicate it in our mind what it means to love others, right, to love one another. But by simply doing what God tells us to do, by obeying his commands, by keeping them, we are showing love to the rest of the body of Christ. And then in verse 3, it tells us, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments 
and his commandments are not burdensome. It reminds me of that um, invitation that we see in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. To come to him, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And that uh, set of verses ends with this idea that his burden is light right? His yoke is easy and his burden is light. His commandments are not burdensome. I'll give you two more references back in the gospel of John. We'll just jot them down. We won't turn there, but John 14, 15 puts it this way. If you love me, Jesus says, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. And then in John 15, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And I think it just describes this beautiful cycle. The more we obey the Lord, the more we love him. The more we love him, the more we obey him. And it just continues growing and growing in our hearts. But if we're honest, the greatest hindrance oftentimes, right, in our lives to keeping God's commandments is that we love our own conveniences more than we love him. And just seeing that, that sort of black and white option. Do I love the Lord more than my own convenience? Or is my own convenience really the object of my love? And therefore, I find his commandments burdensome. J.K. Chesterton said, The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried, right? So a lot of times when people abandon Christianity and biblical principles, it's not because it didn't uh, deliver on what was promised. It wasn't somehow that, you know, they tried it and it didn't work out. It's that it was too difficult, and so they just left it untried. The two and a half tribes dwelling on the east of the Jordan selected their land purely out of convenience. Romans, I'm sorry, Romans, Numbers 32 verse 1 tells us that they were more concerned with their cattle than being connected to their other brothers and tribes, right? Talk about convenience. They put their possessions above the promised land. That was serving their convenience. But here Joshua is charging them to continue keeping God's commandments rather than serving convenience. Moving on, we'll look at the next two verses, verses 5 through 6. And this instruction here is to keep clinging to the Lord. Keep clinging to the Lord and let go of fear. Keep clinging to the Lord and let go of fear. Joshua 22, picking up in verse 5. But take careful heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. This idea of holding fast, of clinging to the Lord, as some translations put it, comes up also in the book of Ruth. I know how many of you guys remember this scene where Ruth and Orpah, are told by their mother-in-law Naomi that it's okay, that they can go back home. And this is found in Ruth chapter 1, verses 14 through 17, for those of you that like taking notes. Um, I should say for those of us that like taking notes, but I'm not exactly taking notes right now, but 
you know what I mean, Ruth chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. It tells us that Orpah left, and, but Ruth clung to her. She clung to Naomi. And again, Naomi tells her, look at your sister-in-law. She went back to her people, and key words, she went back to her gods. Naomi was saying, it's okay. You can, you can serve those false gods. It's fine. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more so if anything but death parts you and me. And so I was, as I was doing a word search on this idea to cling and I clicked on the root word, it surprised me that that was not the only occurrence in Ruth because I don't remember the word cling anywhere else in, in the four chapters, but it's because it's translated stay close. So in Ruth chapter two, there's this little instruction opportunity that then Naomi takes upon herself. You see in chapter two, verse eight, Boaz told Ruth, Look, this field is yours. Whenever you come, you stay close to the other ladies who work here and you'll be fine. By the time the story gets back to Naomi, Ruth tells her, well, Boaz, I met him and he told me to stay close to the young men. How convenient, right? That she just, she got that mixed up. That idea of staying close is that same word for cling. And Naomi, in her wisdom, as she continues to mentor Ruth, says, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, right? And that people do not meet you in any other field. So you got that part, right? You continue going to his field, but don't hang out by the dudes, right? Like stay close to the other women there. And in verse 23, we see Ruth's willingness to take her mother-in-law's advice. She stayed close. Again, that same idea, cling to the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. Ruth, we see in chapter 1, was not afraid to go with Naomi to the land of Israel. But perhaps, once she was there, she was hesitated to consider Boaz and all that he had to offer. Maybe the idea of being an older man's wife was scary or unimaginable to her. You know, here he is so mature, so set in his ways. He's a businessman, and she thought, I can't. How can I be a wife to him? But she clung to Naomi and to Naomi's God once again. This was an opportunity for Ruth to say, okay, your God is truly going to be my God, and I'm going to take the standards of your God. Because perhaps in Moab, it was no big deal for her to have hung out with the young men in the field. But that's not the way they did things in the town of Bethlehem, right? And so she submits to that, and she doesn't give in to fear she was willing to cling to the Lord. Verses 7 through 9 point out the next thing that we are to keep or to keep doing. And the idea is to keep contributing. Keep contributing and to let go of selfishness. Verses 7 through 9 read in, back in Joshua 22. Now to the half-tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan. But to the other half of it, Joshua gave a possession among their brethren on this side of the Jordan westward. And indeed, when Joshua sent them away to their tents, he blessed them. 
verse 8, And he spoke to them, saying, Return with much riches to your tent, with very much livestock, with silver, with gold, with bronze, with iron, and with very much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren. So the children of Reuben... The children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession, which they had obtained according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Ladies, the blessings of serving the Lord belong just as much to those in the front lines of the battle as to those praying in the background. And I love that idea, right, that Joshua doesn't send them back empty-handed and he doesn't tell them to be selfish and say, you know what, you deserved this. You earned it. You worked harder than all those people who stayed back in the tents. No, the instructions are to go and to continue to keep contributing, to share the spoils of the enemies with their brethren. Uh, recently in the Bible reading plan, we were going through Psalm 68. And Psalm 68 verses 12 through 13 read as follows. Kings of armies flee, they flee. And she who remains at home divides the spoil. Though you lie down among the sheepfolds, you will be like the wings of a dove covered with silver and her feathers with yellow gold. And I had this um, underlined and highlighted from the season in my life where the Lord had me be a stay-at-home mom. And just this idea that she who remains at home divides the spoil. And maybe it's your season to be a stay-at-home, uh, to be a homemaker. Maybe it's a season where you would love to go out and be on the mission field. But the Lord has called you to pray, to support in other ways. She who remains at home divides the spoil. It's not um, an excuse to be lazy, right? Like there's a work to be done. There's a work ethic that should be put into whatever season we're in, whether it's, it's being diligent in prayer, being diligent at home, whatever that looks like. But whether you're in the front lines of battle or in the background, we're called to share in those blessings of the victory. Verses 10 through 16, the charge is to keep communicating, right? To keep communicating and let go of hearsay. Keep communicating and let go of hearsay. We'll read verses 10 through 16. And when they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan, a great impressive altar. Now the children of Israel heard someone, right, say, behold, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of Jordan on the, on the children of Israel's side. And when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them. 
Then the children of Israel sent Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the priest, to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, into the land of Gilead, and with him ten rulers, one truler from each of the chief house of every tribe of Israel. And each one was the head of the house of his father among the divisions of Israel. Verse 15, then they came to the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, to the land of Gilead, and they spoke with them. Not at them, not hurling accusations. They spoke together with them, saying, thus says the whole congregation of the Lord. What treachery is this that you have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord, in that you have built for yourselves an altar, that you might rebel this day against the Lord? Sandy Adams notes and, and kind of summarizes this section saying they right the children of Israel the ten, 10 tribes in the west got all heated up over hearsay here's the point we need to take to heart the nation almost goes to blows brother almost kills brother a bloody war almost erupts over a stinking rumor guys this is how civil war starts among friends and in churches. Someone hears someone else say dot, dot, dot. They take it to heart without checking it out. It's been said, when you jump to conclusions, you land in confusions. I'll say that again. When you jump to conclusions, you land in confusions. Leave it to Sandy Adams to find these great sayings I've never heard of. <laughs> Relationships blow up over hearsay and miscommunication. How many church splits were the result of a misunderstanding that could have been averted had both sides just sat down and talked? It's been said, handle a rumor like a check. Never endorse it until you know it's genuine. Never endorse it until you know it's genuine. We have to let go of hearsay and keep communication open. Um, it's just so important. Someone comes to you, oh, did you hear what so-and-so is doing or what so-and-so said about you or what so-and-so said about this ministry or that? No, I haven't, but if they wanna tell me, they know where to find me, right? We could just encourage people to communicate directly, forthrightly, right? Nip that gossip in the bud. Pray with people over those situations. And if you have something to say, pray about it, right? Wait for the Lord to confirm it and then approach that person directly. There's no need to be talking to this person about that person or the other. That direct communication is the best way to avoid civil war within a church. Verse is 17 through 23. Tell us to keep consequences in mind. Keep consequences in mind and let go of justifying self. Let go of justifying self. Here, um, the 10 leaders are continuing to find out what the situation is and they're reminding the 
the two and a half tribes of different consequences of similar behavior, right? Verse 17, is the iniquity of Peror not enough for us from which we are not cleansed till this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord, but that you must turn away this day from following the Lord? And it shall be if you rebel today against the Lord that tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. Nevertheless, if the land of your possession is unclean, then cross over to the land of the possession of the Lord, where the Lord's tabernacle stands, and take possession among us. But do not rebel against the Lord, nor rebel against us by building yourselves an altar besides the altar of the Lord of our God. In verse 20, they give a second example. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed thing? And wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel. And that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. Then the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered and said to the heads of the divisions of Israel, The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knows. And let Israel itself know, if it is in rebellion or in treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. If we have built ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord or if to offer on it burnt offerings or grain offerings or to offer peace offerings on it, let the Lord himself require an account. In both situations of Balaam, right, which is what took place in, in the city of Peror and Achan, they, these men made choices not thinking of the consequences, Right? They didn't consider the consequences for themselves, and they certainly didn't consider the consequences for those closest to them because they were unwilling to let go of their love of money. Right? Both of these men had prioritized the love of money over making the right decision. And this stands in a stark contrast to the heads of the tribes of Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, who rather than immediately trying to justify themselves, agreed with the consequences their brothers were laying out had it been the case that they were sinning. They were open to being honest and vulnerable and saying, you know what, you're right. If we are sinning, if this is rebellion, if this is treachery, we deserve the consequences from the Lord. And I think that that humility is so important when there's a miscommunication right? When we're able to give each other the benefit of the doubt, when we're able to say, I agree with you, you're right. If this was the sin that I was guilty of, I do deserve that consequence. If this is gossip, if this is backbiting, then I repent from that. that those are the consequences I decide. But let me explain to you where I was coming from, right? Rather than immediately justifying self, they, they concede. They agree that those consequences would be fitting had it been a rebellion, um, I want to highlight verse 19 kind of at its own, as its own point. Um, to keep the cost on your end. Keep the cost on your end. In the middle of being reminded of recent rebellions with Balaam and Achan, they make this incredibly generous offer. It says, if the land of your possession is unclean, then cross over to the land of the possession of the Lord, where the Lord's tabernacle stands, and take possession among us. 
but do not rebel against the Lord, nor rebel against us by building yourselves an altar besides the altar of the Lord our God. These tribes were willing to let go of their comfort to restore their brethren. How often do we avoid confronting, let alone restoring another sister in Christ who is struggling in sin because mm, that would make me too uncomfortable. No, I don't want to have that conversation. That's just, that's out of my comfort zone. No, that's too hard. But we're told in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, that if a man is overtaken by any trespass, any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We need to keep the cost on our end. When we see someone struggling, when there's a miscommunication, we need to be willing to take up our cross and follow Jesus and help there to be restoration. We can't force them, but we can offer it to them, right? We can be wise. We can set boundaries. We could say, hey, if you really want to be right with the Lord, this is certain fruit that I expect to see. This is what we can offer. This is the time period, but it still costs us something to restore our brothers and sisters in Christ. Before we get to our final point in the closing verses, again, I just, I found this interaction to be such a treasure and from verse 10 to 19 of how to deal with misunderstandings, right? It's almost a live action film of Matthew 18 being carried out, right? They communicated heart to heart, face to face, I don't recommend trying to restore someone over text or over social media, right? They considered the consequences. How will this behavior affect your sister? How will this behavior affect others down the road? How does this behavior affect the heart of our God? Considering the consequences and counting the cost, right? Keeping that cost in mind, helping others at our expense. I think of that certain Samaritan, right, who found that man on the floor, beaten, bloodied, all his possessions missing, and he was willing to put him up in an inn at his own expense. Our last point for this chapter is to keep our covenants with the Lord, to keep our covenants with the Lord and let go of all those excuses, let go of every and any excuse that won't allow us to keep our covenants to the Lord. Verses 24 reads, But in fact, we have done it in fear for a reason, saying, In time to come, your descendants may speak to our descendants, saying, What have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? Verse 25, For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us. Not true. They chose that land. But anyway, you children of Reuben and children of Gad, you have no part in the Lord. So your descendants would make our descendants, right? It's, it was God's fault for the Jordan. It would be your descendants and the future's fault, obviously. Too many excuses. So your descendants would make our descendants cease fearing the Lord. Therefore, we said, let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar not for burnt offering, not for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between you and us and 
our generations after us, that we may perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, and with our peace offerings, that your descendants may not say to our descendants in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. Verse 28, therefore we said that it will be when they say this to us or to our generations in time to come, that we may say, here is the replica of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, though not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifices. It is a witness between you and us. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord this day to build an altar for burnt offering, for grain offering, or for sacrifices besides the altar of the Lord our God, which is before his tabernacle. In verse 30. Now, when Phineas the priest, who was also there, right, he was the reason that the plague um, against Israel, um, he, Phineas is the reason that the plague against Israel, when they were sinning according to Balaam's prophecy with the Moabites, He's the reason the plague stopped, because of his seal. So I thought it was very interesting that, these, that he was also the spokesman that the children of Israel picked. Um, when he and the rulers of the congregation, the heads of the division of Israel who were with him, heard the words that the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh spoke, it pleased them. In verse 31, then Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the priest, said to the children of Reuben, children of Gad and Manasseh, this day we perceive that the Lord is among us because you have not committed this treachery against the Lord. Now you have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. I love that they took him at his word, right? The benefit of the doubt that they were able to give each other when the miscommunication was cleared up. In verse 32, and Phineas, the son of Eliezer the priest, and the rulers returned from the children of Reuben, Gad, and uh, from the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan, to the children of Israel, and brought back word to them. So the thing pleased the children of Israel, and the children of Israel blessed God. They spoke no more of going against them in battle to destroy the land where the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. The children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar witness, for it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. The fact of the matter is that the Lord didn't choose for these two and a half tribes to settle on that side of the Jordan. And we don't have any indication in this chapter that the Lord had instructed them to erect that altar. Beware of thinking that we can compromise in one area, but then make up for it with a lavish display of commitment in another area. It doesn't work that way. Simply keep your covenant with the Lord according to his word. It's what Christianity truly is all about, keeping our commitments in those little things, to seek the Lord daily by reading his word, to keep praying without ceasing, to keep gathering together with other believers like you're doing tonight, even on those Wednesday nights when you're discouraged, even those mornings when you're exhausted and you really just want to hit the snooze button one more time your commitments to serve, your resolve to obey the Lord in matters of purity, refusing to gossip, refusing to let those little foxes get in the way of your covenant to be the Lord's. No more excuses. And in conclusion, we know that we can surrender to the God who's really keeping us all the while because he's the one who enables us to keep obeying his commandments as Christ himself always obeyed the Father. 
He's the one who keeps clinging to us continually, holding us in the palm of his hand. He's the one who has shared the spoils of his victory on the cross, contributing to us salvation and the assurance of heaven. And he keeps showering us with blessing upon blessing on this side of eternity. And he ever desires to keep communicating with us in communion. He keeps reminding us that the wages of sin is death. And he paid the cost. He kept the cost on his side at the cross and bids us to take up our cross daily. And even when we fail to keep our vows, he continually keeps his covenant. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we have this new covenant, that we don't have to come to an altar of sacrifice, Lord, but that we can come to the cross. We can bow our hearts before you, Jesus. I pray that you would just bless and keep that you would make your face to shine upon all the ladies that are here. That you would give them peace, Lord. Continue to be gracious to each and every one of them and to their families, Lord. We love you and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.